Chapter 13, um, we've already introduced parables, and now we're going to get into parable. The first parable is actually a parable about parables. There you go. Jesus is illustrating why he uses parables with a parable. And you'll remember from last week how we talked about um, Jesus kind of, well, put the first slide on it, and we'll get right into it, because I don't want to get into the background without looking at the slide. So again, we are in Matthew 13, and we're going to look at the parable of the sower. Last week, uh, so far we've discussed the fact that Jesus just changed his teaching style. It's not as straightforward and simplistic. Now, we'll say simple. I like the word simplistic, because Jesus is nothing about him simplistic. But he, but he's, he made the, the, the initial gospel message very simple, understandable, so there's no excuses. We all can learn. A child can know the gospel. So there's elements of knowing God and his kingdom that's just anybody can know. And there's, there's no excuses really for any of us not to know something about God's kingdom, to know the basics of the gospel that saves us, that rescues us from our sin. But we know when we discuss that hardness of the heart that keeps us from really receiving it. You know, it's, we refuse, we turn away from it because we don't want to let go. And so it's a callousness of the heart. And we, you know, all have those verses down below there which will deal with that. But he's raising the bar. Because he wants to teach his disciples. And he wants, to, he wants to give them a richness, a rich knowledge and understanding of God's kingdom. Because they've got a lot of work to do on this, in this world. And God's kingdom is at hand. It's available. It, you know, Jesus has broken the barrier. So now God's and his very spirit can, can just do amazing things in this world. I mean, God can do amazing things anytime in human history. We know that. But now he can do something very particular. For instance, the Holy Spirit. Before the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. God's Spirit, we see it very active in the Old Testament. Very active. It's not like the Holy Spirit wasn't, you know, it was totally inactive until the Pentecost. But the problem was it was a different kind of relationship. Because of sin and the darkness in man's heart, he couldn't get into us. He could, it, so we see the Holy Spirit coming upon a lot of the prophets in the Old Testament. But after the Pentecost, we see the Holy Spirit come in, dwelling within us, and that is amazing. The dunamis power in the Greek word dunamis, which means which is where we get the word dynamite from. It's explosive. It's amazing. It's power under control. You look at a piece of dynamite, it doesn't look like much if you don't know what it is. <laughs> but if you light it, you find out how powerful it really is. And that's like the Holy Spirit in our lives. So so Jesus got a lot, there's a lot of power. And God's a very <laughs> comprehensive being. <laughs> and that's an understatement. There's a lot about God and a lot about his kingdom that's just that's just he, so he needs to raise the bar. He, needs to, he wants to really explain things. And the thing is, for, it goes for everybody. And we're going to find out how we raise the bars in our own life. Because the reality is, we're all at different levels, you know, spiritually speaking, or, or as far as our understanding is concerned with God and His Word, His kingdom. But there's always room for growth. There's always room to learn more, no matter where you are in your life. And, and I'm going to challenge us today to really take... Um, our roles as disciples very seriously to really come to his word with the expectation that we will learn, we will grow, we will challenge, and we will change every time we read his word, every time we count his word. 
Um, so he's dealing with more difficult subjects, obviously, and he uses these illustrations or parables to explain, you know, what he's trying to explain, what he's, what he's teaching his, his disciples. However, some people don't understand his teaching because they're not just there. You know, and we, I use the word tuned in. They're not really quite tuned in to spiritual things just yet. And we're going to look at three situations in which we're going to see three possible people who, who have not really understood. They're, they're fictional people I've, I've invented. We're going to see them later. And, and three possible scenarios of what has happened. You know, what a, a person who just doesn't understand and get it looks, might look like. Um, and then, of course, we have his disciples. And I would, of course, would assume that's us, that's you, that's me, you know, who are the tuned-in ones, who are spiritual, and we want to know, we want to grow, and, and we're ready. We're ready for all of Christ. Give us all Jesus. So he uses this a prophecy from Isaiah to kind of explain what the problem is in regards to some who hear and understand and others who don't hear and, and don't understand. And he says in, in the prophecy of Isaiah, you will be ever hearing but never understanding. So physically they can hear and they're seeking and they're searching, but they just don't get it. Ever seeing but never perceiving. And that sounds sad. almost sounds at that point unfair. Why would God keep something from people? I don't think God's keeping things from people. God's given us everything. He's given us his son. When has he ever held back? Honestly, when has he ever held back? He's given us his son on the cross. So, but here's the reason. It says for this, or in some other translations, because the people's heart have become calloused. That's, it's, it's our own fault. We don't want to really change. We were interested, maybe. It's like many of the people who follow, as we say, the multitude who followed Jesus. They were very interested in the miracles and, and all the fancy things Jesus was doing, but they weren't ready to give up, to, to surrender. Like the songs we sang to here, I mean, I don't know about you, but I found it very difficult to sing this morning. This whole idea about surrender, take all of me and this all, it's like... When we, when we sing these songs, what do we, do we really mean it? Or is it lip service, you know? I mean, it's hard sometimes to sing these songs. And some of what we're going to deal with today is very difficult as well. And so here's his disciples, you know? People who have really just given their whole lives. And they're ready. They're re- or they should be, have that disposition of readiness to change. So it's not like, okay, I've changed three years ago when I got saved. Or I got changed 20 years ago when I got saved. And that's me now done. no. Are you ready to change today? Are you ready to change right now? Or are you complete in your own eyes? That's the, the, the callousness. You know, I mean, look at the Pharisees, for instance. They thought they were amazing, but they weren't. They weren't ready they were for the Messiah. They weren't ready for change. Their hearts were callous. They thought they were complete. So they hardly hear their ears and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts and turn. And that's the issue, turn. The message of, the, of John the Baptist the precursor of Christ, the message of Jesus, and the initial message of the disciples is repentance. Turn. They refuse to turn. And that's a problem. It's a human, worldwide condition. If you're human, you're going to struggle with that because we're prideful. <laughs> we don't want to turn. But that's, and that is, that's a general problem, for, I think, for all humanity. But those who do turn receive healing, as we see there. Next slide, please. So getting into the illustration the parable of the sower, Matthew 13, 3, it says this. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, here's the first parable, example, a farmer. The word is um, sparrow, like, kind of like the bird, the English word sparrow, like a little bird, you know. It's a quick, jerky motion of the hand. Okay, sparrow, a quick, jerky motion of the hand. So it's not really a farmer, it's the motion of throwing out or casting out seeds. It's just like, boom, you just get out there and he throws it. And that word repeats itself throughout. So the farmer, the sower, went to throw his hand out, 
throws seeds out. And as he was throwing the seeds out, as he was, and the word again, spiral occurs here, he's doing this. So we see the seed and it's being tossed out and thrown out and it goes out, right? Now, when I, as I read this parable, try to make sense of it yourself without Jesus' explanation. Because the, the trick of the, of the parables is, is, is to really kind of challenge us mentally. We're hearing these parables. Let's try to make sense of what Jesus is saying before he actually explains himself as a kind of a test. So we see a fellow out there, a farmer or a sower, throwing these seeds out. Ask yourself, what are these seeds? What is this, what's this all about? Some fell along the path, you know, path, like concrete. You know, nothing can grow on concrete, except for weeds. They grow everywhere. And the birds came and they ate it up. Some fell on rocky places. So it's, it's, it's ground, but it's, but it's not healthy ground. It's filled with lots of rocks and, and there's no place for, the, for a good, healthy crop to grow. Where it did not have much soil, spring up quickly, so it started to grow. But because the soil was shallow, when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered and became, and because they had not, or they had no roots, they withered. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seeds. And this is where I rejoice for God and I say, yes, amen, at the seeds go out. Still other seeds fall on good soil. So, and it produced. Look, look, look what happens. I mean, the, the sower, he counts the cost. The, or the farmer, we're going to look at him at. He counts the cost. He's throwing seeds, realizing a lot of these seeds aren't going to go nowhere. They're going to die. They're going to produce no crop. But does it stop him from sowing? Does it stop him from doing his job? No, he goes and throws the seeds out. Knowing that there will be plenty of seeds, and the seeds, even if it's few, look at what they produce. 100, 60, or 30 times what was sown. So he gets his return. He gets his return by throwing up these seeds. Now, of course, I think right now we can already spiritualize this and see what Jesus is talking about, even if you haven't encountered this, this, this illustration before. And then he goes with this, I bolded this line. Whoever has an ear, whoever has ears, let them hear. When Jesus says that, we sit up in our chairs and we put our thinking caps on. When Jesus says, listen to me, we listen to him. Because what he's saying is important. Whoever has ears, let them hear. This is what he's saying is very, very, very important. This is almost like the front door of learning. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is Jesus saying, you want to learn? You want to grow spiritually? Here's the front door. This illustration is all about how we learn. This is about how we learn this, 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 this parable. This is how we can learn about God's kingdom and learn about spiritual things and learn how to live real spiritual lives here on this planet. This is, this is meaty stuff he's going to teach us here. So he's saying, don't fall asleep. I know you're tired, but listen and listen very carefully. So we've got common events like the farmer or the sower scattering seeds over the ground. And the results vary fourfold, as we see here. And so we're going to look at the fourfold um, results. And there's a spiritual parallel, of course, with this. Jesus is pointing to spiritual truths, okay? And, and, and our responsibility really is to ask, what is going on here? Where is the spiritual truth in here? And what is the seed? And what are these four results? What do they mean? What's Jesus getting at here? Next slide, please. And Jesus, fortunately for us, in this parable, clarifies exactly what he means. Okay, he doesn't hold back. Now, he doesn't answer every question. For instance, he doesn't answer who the farmer was or who the sower was. 
So, you know, I believe where the, where the scriptures are silent, it's probably best to remain silent. We can speculate, the farmer might be you, the farmer might be me, the farmer might be just God. But you know what? I'm not going to make a dogma about it. I'm not going to say this must be, the farmer must be such and such. But what I'm interested in is what we can learn. And Jesus taught us very clearly what we can learn about this parable. And he answers the question what the seed is. So he doesn't answer what the farmer is or the sower is. But he does answer what the seed is, which means this is his point. This is what he wants us to get. He wants us to get what the seed is. He wants us to get what the four parallel results are. So for sake of, um, of simplicity, I, I made... Um, as Jesus answers the question what the seed is, I highlighted it red. Portions where he answers or describes the four parallel results, I made that green. Just to make it simple for us as we look at the screen. So Matthew 13, 18, 19, you know, so further down, we've already dealt with other portions of Matthew 13 last week. He goes down in verse 13 of Matthew, or 18 of Matthew 13 and says, listen then to what the parable of the sower means. How awesome is this? Jesus is going to give us, you know, uh, you know, give us the answers, so we don't have to wonder and guess what is this all about. Other times we may have to do some more work, be more astute in our studies, but this time Jesus is going to give us some help. The first um, possible result: number one, when anyone and here's the seed in the red, hears the message about the kingdom of God. So the seed is the hearing or the message. So you can look at it either way. It's either hearing of or it's the actual message about the kingdom. So it's about God's kingdom. Okay, take that. We'll put that in our list of what the seed means. It's a message or the hearing of the message about the kingdom and does not understand. Here's the result. You hear it, don't get it. That's the result. The seed. You hear it, you don't get it. Don't understand it. The evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their hearts. This is the seed sown along the path. So we see the parallel. Now, um, I went ahead and made um, four bios or biographies of totally fictional people. I just invented my brain. But these are very common, similar. So these aren't, I mean, these people who, who don't hear the message, they aren't just hardened criminals. They aren't total widows. They aren't, you know, these are, these are normal, common people that we see in our lives every day. And so I made this, so this, this does not represent anybody I know. This is just something I totally dreamed up, okay? And that's why I gave them silly names. Like the first one, Miss I Can't Even Be Bothered, okay? So the first one, Miss I Can't Even Be Bothered, this is her bio. Did you get that if I'm reading it? <laughs> what kind of name is it? I Can't Even Be Bothered. Okay, there we go. So I got some Scottish in there for you guys. It's like, I can't even be bothered. <laughs> and this is her bio. She's heard the wonderful gospel through friends from school and at assembly. But she says that it doesn't make any sense to her. It might be good for others, but it's, not, it's just not her thing. She'd rather be an agnostic or an atheist, you know, because it's much cooler nowadays to be that way. Her grand was a religious person, you know, went to Church of Scotland or whatever. And for the most part, she thinks that she's Christian because she was born in Scotland. She is confident that if there is a man upstairs, don't you love that, the man upstairs? He will understand her choices in life. Because after all, he made her this way. Now, I'm sure elements of that sound very familiar to all of us. 
I'm not picking on one particular person, but I'm pulling together a lot of things I've experienced in my lifetime and what I've heard. Reasons why people just don't get it when the word of God is given to them. Again, so far, the message. So far, we've seen the message of the kingdom of God. Here's the message of the kingdom of God. Isn't this great? And this is a possible, you know, result of it. So something to think about, something to ponder. Let's look at the second possibility. So as Jesus continues to clarify, it says in Matthew 13, 20, the seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word. Okay, so here's the red. Here's what the seed means. Again, hearing the word. Now, this time it's, it's, the word's changed. So before it was the message about the kingdom of God, now it's just the word, okay? But they're parallel. They mean basically the same thing, the word. What I hold here in the Bible is commonly referred to as the word of God. God has spoken. So I'm pretty sure it's safe to say that as we're building an understanding of, the, of this of this of this parable that's talking about this Bible that we have on our laps or on our digital devices or whatever. You know, it's, this is the word of God. All of it contained from cover to cover. So it does include the gospel, but other things as well. So the kingdom, the message of God's kingdom, the word. But, and, or, and, at once, and here's the result of the second one, receives it with joy. Ah. Oh. It's beautiful. It's like an epiphany. It's like this is this Christianity stuff, this gospel stuff. It's amazing. But since they have no root, they last only a short time when trouble or persecution comes because of the word. The word means something and it does something. And come on, for us ourselves, the word of God is very hard sometimes. Like this whole idea of dying to oneself, pick up the cross and follow me and you know you will be persecuted because of me. That's not nice. So because of that, a lot of people will go, not for me. That's not my cup of tea. You know, that's for you fanatic Christian types, but I don't want that. So because of the word, they don't want it. So here we have the right result. Here's the word because of the word. The result is in green again. They receive it with joy, but only for a short time until trouble or persecution comes. So we have bio number two, Mr. Flaky Follower. He has heard the gospel at home Bible study, or at a home Bible study rather, that he was invited to by a nice young lady that he was romantically interested in. He gave his life to the Lord a large-scale evangelistic campaign. And less than a year later, he broke up with his girlfriend. He decided that going to church would be a bit too hard because there'd be just too much trouble and embarrassment, you know, running into his ex-girlfriend week after week. He found a new girlfriend who is not at all interested in Christ and insists that he moves in with her and dumps all that religious stuff. He thinks that he really loves her, so he sticks with her and totally for, forgotten about Jesus. Again, this is not a real person, but this is a possible situation that we've seen in real life, and I think we all know people in our lives that struggle with things like this. Again, this is what Jesus is talking about. These are real common. These aren't hardened criminals. These aren't, you know sex offenders and jakeys and drug addicts. I mean, these are real common people that have heard the word of God and said, nah, maybe received it with joy like this fellow because he kind of liked hanging out with the Christian gal. You know, I mean, again, it's a possibility. There's a lot of, I could have I gone anywhere with this story, you right? You know, fill in the blank, make your own bio, you know? But here's a good possibility. Next one. So the third result of the seed as it sowed is in Matthew 13, 22. The seed 
1322, falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word. Again, the seed. It's very clear you're talking about the words. The words repeated a couple times, parallel to the message about God's kingdom. But the worries of life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word. So last time we have offense because of the word. Now we actually see worries of the life, the cares of the life. I call this kind of idol worship. You know, it's just serving other gods, gods of the world, you know, thinking, oh, but busyness, you know, oh, I got things to take care of or chasing wealth. And by wealth, it's not just it, earlier Jesus says, or maybe later, he says that you, you, you have to serve one God, one master. And, and it's either God, the real living God, or mammon. And the word mammon speaks of the God of wealth. But it's not just following money. It's also following desires, interests. Hobbies, fascinations, popularity, success, climbing ladders, education, points. It's like point system. Some people follow, the, their, their point system is based upon money. Some other people's point system is based upon you know, experience, like education or whatever. Some people's point system, it's anything that's not the Lord. Okay? And, and the reality is the world's filled with it. It's a very common problem. Again, these are common problems. They choke the word making it unfruitful. So we got Ms. too busy for him. She grew up in a Christian home. She had heard all about Jesus since she was very young. She really likes attending mass on special holy days like Easter's and Christmas. She really enjoys being a godmother to her, her best friend's kids. The thing is, her family was very poor. Dad did the best he could to pay the bills and feed the family. They were, they, they, there, there was not, never anything left over for any fun stuff. No family holidays, no eating out, nothing like that. But because of her childhood, she vows never to allow her or her family to go through such trouble. She's very successful at her work. You know, climbing the ladder of a corporate or major corporation is a 24-7 kind of job. So at the end of the day, she has no time for Jesus. Can't lose a day for him. Not even Sundays. So eventually, she stops thinking about them altogether. Again, the cares. The word. I mean, there's nothing wrong with, with what she's doing here. She's, she's a common, normal person. Nothing wrong. Except all the worries and cares of life got brought her, just tore from Jesus. Nothing wrong with work. Nothing wrong with anything that we read here. Going to church on Easter and Christmas, that's, that's, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with any of this stuff she's doing. Nothing here is sinful except the lack of Jesus. The worries of life, the deceitfulness of wealth. Her tensions might have been, I mean, her tensions look really good. I mean, if somebody told you this, listen, man, I grew up with a poor family and you know, I want to do well for my children, most of us would say, yeah, good for you, Right? But where's Jesus in all that? Next slide. So then we have the last one. Um, number four, possible parallel result. Matthew 13, 23, it says this, but the seed falling on good soil refers to anyone who hears the word. So here we go. Read again, the word, hearing the word. And Understands it. So it's a complete contrast from the first one. The first one you hear it, don't get it. This one you hear it and totally get it. This, and I seed, and I you know, put this, changes and grows a disciple, the seed, okay? It produces something. 
is the one who produces again a crop yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. So here we have the result that the farmer was basically looking for. This is what he's out to get. This is why he cast a seed. If this result didn't exist, he probably wouldn't have bothered. So he counts the cost of the loss of seeds. But he does it anyways because he knows this will eventually happen. That the seeds will find good soil, good ground. In, in the production, the result is, is massive. One seed producing 100 times, 60, 30 times what was sown. That's amazing. That's massive. So he gets everything back plus or times, you know, it's multiplied. So here again, we have the disciple. No, they're not perfect. They never will be. Not in this life, at least. In fact, they are sure that without Jesus, they would be totally empty and have nothing of value. Trusting in God for all things and following Jesus is kind of a scary thing. There are many things that they do not quite understand. But they turn to the word of God, trusting that he will provide. Life is full of trouble and difficult situations. But the disciple trusts in God and leans on his word for help and strength. Even though there are people in the disciple's life that claim he is ignorant for trusting in God and his word, they remain bold in faith. The disciple is not free from temptation. Sometimes they lean too much on their own understanding and, and do things their own way. But in the end, they really, truly know that God's way is the best way. So that's, again, that could be you, that could be me. There could be little bits of us in there. There could be, if you're honest, maybe none of us in there. But regardless, that's a possible picture or biography of a disciple. The one who hears the word and it changes them. Now, that concludes my slides. And the reason why is because I finished my study at that point. And, I, and last night, I, I think I must kept my wife up most of the night because I, I couldn't go to sleep. I was laying in bed thinking and praying about his message. And God started speaking to me. And he said, the message isn't over yet. I'm like, what do you mean it's not over? My slides are done. Certainly it's over, God. But God's, you know, his, again, his ways aren't our ways sometimes, right? So God starts speaking to me. He goes, you dealt with a really general principle, God, Scott, but you didn't deal with specific situations in a person's life. And I'm like, what do you mean, God? And he opened up to me. He goes, everyone at church is going to think they're the fourth seed. <laughs> I mean, come on, raise your hand if you're anything but the fourth seed. We all think, every time you go to a Bible study, every time you go to a sermon, you're always the good guy. It's the person next to you that's got to hear the message. It's the person outside of the walls, down the street, to hear the message. And I was like, okay, God, what are you saying then? Are you saying we're all a bunch of, you know, what, what do you mean? He goes, be honest. What is, the, what is the red bit? It's the word of God, right? How many times have you gone to a sermon or Bible study or read a devotional or read your Bible or somebody's given you a verse where one of those four things happened that wasn't the fourth? Oh, I see what you're saying. Every time the word goes out in your life, so let's not look at others, let's look at I, let's look at me for a second. Every time I hear the word of God, one of these four things will happen. Now, let's go through it and paint a picture. The first example, don't understand it. There's a very good reason why I'm teaching the book of Matthew 
and not one of the books of the Old Testament prophets? It's because I don't understand them as well as Matthew. Does it mean that there are no value in them? You know what I'm saying? There's tre- Paul says God's word, all scriptures, all the scriptures are God-breathed, God-inspired. There is something we can learn and grow from, from page to page, word to word, letter to letter. Okay? Now, I teach Matthew before I taught Colossians. I taught the book of Jonah. I've taught, you know, I've taught through a lot of books. And I hate to say, I, I teach books that I understand because I want to be able to communicate it in a way that you guys can understand it. I don't want to teach something that I struggle with. I taught Revelation, and that was very challenging. But I put a lot of hard work in it, and it was rewarding. But generally, I kind of stay away from it. And a lot of other preachers stay away from the really hard books of the Bible because they're difficult. But is that to say there's no treasure in them? Is that to say that God doesn't want to speak through them? You know what I'm saying? So there's a reward in trying to understand the whole counsel of God's word. So sometimes I'll read, I'll go to a Bible study or a sermon, I'll read a portion of scriptures, and I just don't get it. Like, for instance, the law portion of the Old Testament as well, like the Leviticus stuff. And he's going through all the ceremonial and all the, the design elements of the temple. And I'm like, ah, God, I just want to fast forward through this and get to the wonderful things, the things that really inspire me. And God goes, okay, because God's a gentleman in that sense. Go ahead, you read what you want to read. But is that to say that I'm, maybe I'm missing something there? Maybe if I spend some homework, some time, you know what I'm saying? So there's something we all need to take on board for ourselves. Sometimes we read the word of God and we just don't get it. And so we move on. Sometimes us as good, you know, real bona fide, red-blooded, born-again Christians come apart scriptures and a second thing happens where we hear the word and receive with joy, but because of what's being said in the word, we kind of let go of that word, you know? Like, come on. Pick up the cross and follow me. Die to yourself. We're so romantic about those verses. Oh, yes. Only if I could pick up my cross and follow you. Only if I could die to myself. And then we think of like Paul in his life, like through the axes and all that different jazz and how he was persecuted and he was beat up and he was just, I mean, he had no home and no life. He was just, I mean, the guy was just a walking target for, this, for Satan and everybody else, it seems like beat up and shipwrecked and this and that. He, and he lists all the times he was beaten up and thrown up, <laughs> thrown out and thrown up probably. <laughs> Jonah was thrown up, so might as well have a Paul as well. But you get what I'm saying, right? Do you want to be like Paul? Not me. <laughs> if I were honest with you. But, but what, what, think about what Paul's life, think of his experience, think of what he produced. Again, the good seed produces hundredfold, you know, 60, 30 times because he was surrendered to God. I don't want to do that. So sometimes I get the word and go, because of what the word means, I let it slip away. And we all do that, right? Well, the third example. I, 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 I got to say this as well, because, yeah, Paul, okay, this is still the second example. What about John? Okay, John, the beloved disciple of John. I love him because legend says that, you know, all the other disciples died by, you know, martyrdom, except for John. They tried to kill him, but they couldn't. What's worse, to die of martyrdom or to be tortured? And I mean, they actually, the legend says he was boiled in hot oil and he survived it. And then they cast him on the Isle of Patmos, you know, a prison island, you know, in obscurity. And then he was an old guy and they released him and he's still alive. And then he goes as an old guy and he's ministering to the church in Ephesus. I don't want to be like that in my flesh. But the thing is, do you think John regretted his life? you think John would, would have had it any other way? 
He was surrendered to the word. So, wow, that's hard stuff, guys. This is really hard stuff. And then the third example, our third possibility, which was the, um, oh, the cares of the world. You know, the seafulness of the wealth and all different jazz. I mean, how many times do we read the word of God and we feel compelled to do something, but we just don't because we get on with it? We just get on with it. Monday comes. You know, we go on with life as normal. God's spoken to us the word of God. We understood it. It's very clear what we should do. But Monday comes, and we're like, yeah, but my, I got my normal life to live. <clears throat> does God want to change your life? Maybe he does. I would say definitely he does. But sometimes, when I encounter the word of God, and I hear a message, and I'm compelled to move, sometimes I move, but a lot of times I don't, and the very reason is because it doesn't fit with my life. It doesn't fit, fit with the conveniences of my life, the pattern of my life, the system of my life. And so I don't let God's word change me. But we need to ask ourselves, what is God trying to do? Is he trying to rip us off? You know, yeah. Is he trying to rip us off? Certainly not. He's trying to produce crop. He's trying to produce fruit. So, again, the forest seed. And this, even if this happens one every 10 times, you carry God's word. One every 20 times. One every 50 times. As long as, I mean, Honestly, if you're honest with ourselves, sometimes the coin drops and, and, and we really have a real spiritual epiphany where God really gets in and grips our hearts and tears us apart. Well, you know what? That's good stuff. Because that one time that God's word gets in and just messes with us and just changes us and makes us a new person, transforms us, as Danny's saying, you know, it produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what is sown. So what is the prescription then? What ought we to do? When I read these things, I think, okay, recognizing there's a, there's a, there's a good chance that we'll, you know, we'll, we'll be stubborn <laughs> and we won't receive the seeds. Okay, what do we do? We immerse ourselves with the word of God. Because if one out of every 50 times we receive the crop, what does, this, what does the sower do? Does he throw out five seeds and go, we'll see what happens? No, he takes buckets full and he just throws it out. What's he doing? He immerses the land with seed. So what do we do? What ought we to do, I believe? I think the prescription today is this. Let us immerse ourselves with the word of God as much as humanly possible. Trusting that sometimes the first three things will happen. But regardless, as long as that fourth thing happens sometimes, then bow, we're going to grow as disciples. Now, Let's take that and go back to our four examples, right? Like the first one, the I can't even bother lady. How is she ever going to change if she doesn't hear the word of God? Right? Because she can't be bothered. The second example, the flaky Christian. Yeah, God may have dropped some seeds in his life and his heart a long time ago, but how is that going to help him? How's that going to be for him today as he turns his back against God because of the cares of the world? What about the third person who's kind of the religious type, you know, pops in at church from time to time? Are they really immersed in the Word of God? You know, if only one out of every 50 seeds produces crop in her life, and she, but she's never around to hear, if we're never around to hear Jesus, how do we expect, how would they ever expect to have a changed life? So the reality is the disciple isn't a rocket scientist. They aren't, we aren't super clever people by nature. But the reality is what we do is the right thing, the sensible thing. Grab your smart, though. And we do the sensible thing, and that is we immerse ourselves with the Word of God. Sometimes we don't understand it. Sometimes we refuse to change because it scares us. 
Sometimes it just doesn't fit into our schedule, so we put it aside. But the reality is, there's that one in every 20 or 50 or 40 or 60 that will change and radically move us. If we allow that to happen by immersing ourselves in God's word, eventually all those little things that we kind of resist, I think we'll stop resisting in time. And then we'll allow God to change us and mold us, to make us into whom he wants us to be. Because his kingdom is here, now at hand. He says, the kingdom of God is at hand. Come on, we got a work to do, we got a mission. I've got a calling for you. And he's gentle, he's not gonna force you. He wants you to, to choose. You want your mind to be made up. I want to follow you, God. I want to do this. And he understands it's scary. He understands it's an inconvenience. He understands a lot of times it can be a bit confusing. <clears throat> but God's gentle. But the question is, what are we doing right now? Are we saying, because it's too hard, because it's too difficult, because it doesn't fit, I'm just not going to be bothered with it. That's the worst thing we can do. What we should do is immerse ourselves with it. Try to... Come to God with humility on our knees, praying and surrendered, saying, God, I know I mess up. <laughs> I know that I don't always get it right. In fact, I mostly get it wrong. But God, just look at this. God has given us a treasure, cover to cover, of words that are inspired and breathed by his Holy Spirit. It's sitting in our laps. And again, think about all of the people walking around us who we see every day. Now, okay, here's another. I got, I got two minutes so I can preach it. Here's another um, experiment we can do. If these people in our lives who refuse God's word, there's no chance for them to change if they don't get God's word. What about if we subtly drop God's word upon them when they're not expecting it? Okay, if we are filled with God's word, we read it, we understand it, we try to at least, you know, and we immerse ourselves in it at least. So we're immersed, we got God's word. When we see people in the village, in the town, in our lives, we can drop some, 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 some seeds on them without them even knowing it. Telling them some of your favorite Bible verses. Telling them that God loves them, that Jesus cares for them, that Jesus is real. I mean, I don't know about you, but every time I talk about God to people, I get a response. Most times it's of total offense and people run away from me. But regardless, I'm not gonna stop because the more and the more and the more the seeds are dropped on them, the more likely it will find good soil. But it won't, the seeds won't find good seeds if the seeds aren't cast. So there's a challenge for us. We need to immerse ourselves in the Word so we can have change in our lives. If we want to see change in, our, in the world around us, we need to be prepared to throw some seeds out ourselves. So the funny thing is, just to kind of end, a lot of people look at these, this, par this parable as kind of a salvation message. But I think it's a lot more than a salvation message, isn't it? It's not just about being saved or not being saved. Now, bear in mind, being saved is a, a part of it. It's a part of it, yeah. But it's a more, it's a... It's about learning and growing, isn't it? And I think the danger of just reducing this to a, a salvation message is we'll run the risk of walking out of here thinking we're completed when we're not, right? So we're not completed. You know, we're not just, okay, take the salvation box, we're good to go. No, we're saved and that's awesome. <laughs> saved by grace and that's great. But we gotta grow, we got to grow. And that, well, I think, is what Jesus is saying to his disciples. Let's pray.